0: Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, June 4, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and obviously we are living in strange and important times. It's now been 10 days since a white police officer named Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd in the streets of Minneapolis. The now ex-officer has been charged with felony second degree murder. The three officers who stood by and did nothing have been charged with aiding and abetting a murder. Meantime, there have been protests in every major American city each night for more than a week. So this feels like a a real moment in time, like something we're all gonna remember forever. And it sparked conversations that I'm not sure we've ever had, at least in these numbers. Some folks who have never previously acknowledged that there's a problem or even care to consider that there might be a problem in this country with the way black people are targeted and harassed and killed disproportionately by law enforcement officials are now finally acknowledging it. Whether it'll lead to real change, who knows. But it's it's been a big topic of conversation among college basketball coaches, because for the most part, you know, college basketball coaches are either black men who coach black players or white men who coach black players. So. They're talking about all of this with each other and with their players. And I've been talking to them about all of this as well for the past week. Norlander, I know you have too. So I got a million thoughts on everything. But let me start by asking you, what are you hearing when you talk to coaches about what's happening in this country right now?
1: I'm hearing very productive conversations that are happening uh, at the at the college level and that players are having their voices heard. Um, this is a year in 2020 that uh, it feels like this this particular year and who kn- who knows what the next 7 months have in store for us but 2020 feels like a year that will be referenced and discussed and talked about like 300 years from now. It, it just it already feels so historic uh, to the point where, you know, rightfully so, the coronavirus pandemic we're still living in has taken a distant backseat and we might see uh, trouble with that in weeks ahead. We'll, f- we'll find out if the summer months really have an effect on this or not. But um, the long-stemming uh, systemic racial issues that have existed and continue to exist in this country We, from one 30-year-old white man's perspective, it feels like we are finally actually having a necessary conversation about this and not dismissing it. These protests, which have manifested around the globe, and I get emotional when I see how the disgusting murder of a black man in Minneapolis can prompt... Tens of thousands of people to protest across the entire planet. Uh, It really is incredible to see all of that. And within the world of college basketball, I think you have coaches who are extremely willing and wanting to have... a conversation, the white coaches who want to continue to be educated about this. And it has not been a flawless week. It has been very far from that. In fact, college football has run into plenty of issues with what we've seen come out uh, with Dabo Swinney at Clemson, Mike Norvell, uh, and the story with him and his players speaking out about him and apparently misrepresenting conversations he had with his players. We have not seen that on the college basketball side yet, but you and I are not new to this issue. Um, In that in 2016, one of the questions we did with our annual Candid Coaches series was we asked coaches, black and white, but a significant number, dozens and dozens, well over 50 black coaches, if they had ever had a negative encounter with law enforcement. And um, the numbers were startlingly high, and uh, the murder of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor... Uh, the death of Ahmad Arbery, all of these have brought back uh, to my mind the conversations I had in person and over the phone uh, with those coaches four years ago. And we saw Lavelle Moten of North Carolina Central, who was one of those coaches we interviewed uh, and gave him... As we do every coach for every Candid Coaches series, uh, the cover of anonymity to, to tell his truth. And he has been a, an extremely important voice in all of this. Uh, Lavelle Moten's uh, account of, of being wrongfully... Uh, dehumanized. Uh, back in 2005, when he had Raymond Felton in his car, um, the story has been well told. He's been tweeted it out. Please go find it if you haven't already. Um, coaches are hoping this can lead to real change. And I'll, I'll I don't want to keep going on and on here, but I will say one thing: that's actual action that started here, we're still early. Uh, Carlin Hartman, who is an assistant, black assistant at the University of Oklahoma, who I have uh, confidence and hope he will lead a program one day. I don't see how that does not happen. Former, a really good player at Tulane. Um, He helped start uh, what's called the Coalition of Coaches, and it's been formed with the mission of fostering community relationships and improving academic and athletic opportunities for under-resourced youth. This is just now starting here, so, as we move forward, I don't, Parrish, I don't know if we're going to continue to have protests every single day for the next month. It w- honestly, it would not surprise me if that happened. Um, but we are seeing some movement on the ground from coaches talking to each other, talking to their players. And it, in conversations I've had this week, it's been um, obviously productive and it has taken um, – Way, way, way too long. It, it actually, it just, it outright sickens me that we have to have more black people murdered in this country by law enforcement for us to even get here. But it's a commentary on on history and how the worst of the worst has to happen before uh, the arc of history bends toward justice, I guess. But it's been, I've had, you know, informative and, and educational conversations with coaches this week and look forward to having more.
0: Yeah, it, it's a fascinating time to experience, because uh, listen, this is nothing new. Even watching a black person die at the hands of a law enforcement official on video is nothing new. Like we've seen that now for years, whether it's uh, Tamir Rice or Philando Castile, or I mean, the the list is too long to even go through. And so the question becomes like, why is this different? Why is this one registering differently? And I, I bounced that off you know, other people, um, you know, just, and it it seems like the most common answer, accepted answer is that this is just, this is one where there's not another side. Like often, because we argue about everything in this country, um, even things that we shouldn't argue about, um, you know, there's somebody anxious to take the other side. Like, well, you know, he, he might've been reaching for a gun, you know, or the, the cops thought he had a weapon or, you know, there's always somebody trying to rationalize a black person being, Killed uh, by a police officer. And there's no way to rationalize this one. I mean, we watch it for nine minutes a white cop knee on the neck of uh, George Floyd, and we watch a man like beg for his life. A man actually scared on the ground, handcuffed, beg for his life. You're going to kill me. I can't breathe. And the officer doesn't do a thing and then stays on top of him nearly three minutes after he's unconscious, like kept his knee on a dead man's neck for three minutes. And we all watched that. And so I had a buddy who is a cop and, you know, it, it, me and one of my, I have a buddy who's a cop. And one of my other buddies reached out to that guy and just like, was like, help me understand what was happening there. Like you, you're trained for these moments. Like what, how does that happen? And the cop told him like, there's, Listen, I've been talking to other cops about this. Nobody will defend Derek Chauvin. Nobody, not even a police officer, will try to argue that what he did was acceptable, that it can be rationalized, anything. And so now we have, you know, this big movement, like you mentioned, not only in America, but all across the globe, like a hundred thousand people protesting in Amsterdam. There was a George Floyd memorial in Iran. Yeah, that somebody that somebody tweeted a, a picture of to me, and so I, you know, was, you know, after all of this, because I'll be honest, like the 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 murder happened on Memorial Day, and most of America's distracted on Memorial Day. You know, people's at the pool, they got the grills, whatever, and so it took a I think a couple of days for like everybody to go, whoa, what happened, and then I was gonna write about this, um, uh, you know, but I have got to have a hook. You know, I'm a college basketball columnist. I can talk about whatever I want to talk about on my radio show, but if I'm going to write, it has to be tied to college basketball in some form. And so you just do um, the most natural thing, which is I'll reach out to black college basketball coaches, and it was, and, and, and then I'll be flooded with stories. So that's what I did. I re- honestly just started sending text messages, and I could have reached out to anybody. It just happened to, like, whose name pops into my head. I was like, okay, I'll reach out to Frank Hayes. So I text Frank, and I'm just like, He's obviously the coach at Tulsa. And I'm just like, "Hey, you know, I'm I, I want to write about this. You know, I'm I I'm, I'm assuming you have some experience where you thought you were about to be George Floyd. If you do, like I'd love to talk to you about it if you've got a few minutes." He within minutes sent me a link to a 14-minute YouTube video about Sean Bell. Do you know Sean Bell? Did you know the Sean Bell story? Educate us. I did not know Sean Bell. I never. This is because it happened in 2006, so this is before the hashtags. In fact, the YouTube little short film is titled something along the lines of before the hashtag. Sean Bell was a a young black man in New York City, and he was out for his bachelor party. He was getting married the next day. He and a few buddies went out the night before the wedding. Um, There's some sort of uh, interaction with an undercover cop inside the club it trickles outside sean and he's with i believe two bodies none of them have weapons and they end up getting shot at 50 times by new york police department um officers 50 times 50 bullets shot out of a gun in their direction one white officer shot 31 times 31 times one officer they were all found not guilty either not charged with a crime or, or charged with the crime and then found not guilty. Nobody held accountable. So Frank Hayes sends me that and he says, Sean Bell was my nephew. So I didn't know that story. Wow. So then I'm reaching out to David Cox, head coach at Rhode Island. Wow. And the text I got back was, I have too many experiences growing up in Washington, D.C. Let's talk tomorrow. And so I talked to him on Sunday afternoon. And it's just... You compare your experiences with law enforcement officials, if you look like me or you look like you, and then you ask you, – you compare our experiences with literally anybody, Frank Hayde, David Cox, Lavelle Moten, any black man. You, you, they're, they're not the same stories. I don't have those experiences in my life, and yet I, I genuinely believe I could have reached out to basically not only any black coach but any black man. And they would have some uncomfortable story where – I guess I'll just put it this way. When I asked David Cox what went through your mind when you watched the George Floyd video, he said the same thing that goes through every black man's mind, is that could have been me. And it's remarkable that every black man thinks that way. And the reason they think that way is because they either have their own story or they know about way too many.
1: When we did the poll – For Candid Coaches in 2016, I just want to remind listeners, uh, I know we podcasted about it then uh, in some capacity, but um, our question to them was, have you ever had an uncomfortable or inappropriate encounter with a member of law enforcement? The black coaches responded yes to the tune of 68%, no at 32%. The white coaches responded yes at 12% with a no of 88%. And nearly half of the coaches who said yes said they responded yes because they were with black friends or teammates at the time of their negative run-in with police officers. Um, I'll put a link to that, Candid Coaches, in the podcast description if you're listening to this. Um, so if you want to go and read it, I just want to close with, uh, I want to I include what I closed with in that story. Just one account of many, okay? Here's Here's, <laughs> Here, here's how it goes. I say, alternatively, many black coaches have said they've had multiple run-ins with police officers even when, with what they consider to be bogus traffic stops uh, and plenty had no issues with them whatsoever. But others have mentioned how they've been routinely stopped and questions about bank robberies, gas station hold-ups, their backgrounds, life details, the whole lot of it. This, this highlights issues that have existed for decades. Um, here is the final account from one. It's a bit long, but I do want to read this out loud so everyone can, can understand what, again, These are successful African-American coaches that have lived this existence. It's infuriating. He says, I'm an African-American and my father is a retired policeman from Chicago's West side. I was born in Dallas and raised there, but spent every summer in Chicago with my dad, watching him patrol the toughest neighborhoods in America. Growing up, I had been profiled, pulled over and humiliated on six different occasions in Dallas. I hated what those police did to me once in front of a girlfriend, But I would turn around and go watch my dad be a beloved, respective neighborhood police officer that knew and got along with most. Even the drug dealers knew and respected him. Even when he had to lock them up, they'd get out and come say hello because he knew them and their families. There was a right way and a wrong way to do everything And this can work. It just has to be done the right way, which means time spent in neighborhoods when there is no trouble. Explain the law to people when they are not under duress and also explain that if these rules are broken, I will come and I will lock you up. But do things right in life and we can all be proud of each other. After referencing the incident, and this is me not quoting him, after referencing the incident with his girlfriend, I asked the coach to detail if he'd he'd be willing to go further into detail. He said, I was a very good high school basketball player. I had a girlfriend and was a good kid growing up. Had never been in any trouble anywhere before. Remember, my dad was a cop and it never slipped my mind. I was sitting outside of our high school gym after practice talking to my girlfriend when a white police officer started cruising our parking lot. Most of my friends and family members had poor experience with police officers in the city of Dallas at some point in their lives. So as a young guy, I quickly got that feeling uh, in the pit of my stomach reiterating that something was probably about to happen. He came to a slow stop and got out of his car. He was alone, and he was headed straight for me, although there were about 20 other kids waiting on their rides. He looked at me and said, aren't you supposed to be some basketball star or something? I replied, I'm a basketball player. He said, I got a report of you throwing rocks at cars, and I'm here to look into it. I smiled and said, you got the wrong guy. From that point, he jumped on my chest and pinned me down and said, I don't have shit wrong. I got the right guy, and you're it, and I'm taking your ass to jail. At this point, word spread quick throughout the school, and before he could get this called in, there were 150 students and teachers out there screaming at him to let me up, that he had the wrong person, my girlfriend was upset, he went back to his car, weapon drawn at this point, and called for backup while I lay on the hot concrete. When backup officers arrived, they ran a check and found out who I was, got me up, apologized, and let me go." The first officer on the scene was dismissed from the area quickly because the scene had now turned sour. This was one of many poor experiences I had with law enforcement. One account of six in that coach's life, and that's one coach, one person in a nation of hundreds of millions of people. Okay? So, you know, I, I want to thank the coaches again who have been willing to to talk with us on the phone and have productive conversations, I want to thank the coaches four years post again for being willing to share those stories. Thank Lavelle Moton for being willing to tell his transparently in the past week and take that message and use it for good. And you and you know he was on national radio and television programs. I mean he has done uh, such really good work and has brought about because of what he has said. Lavelle Moton specifically has sparked. A conversation that should be had, I saw Luke DeCock, the writer out of North Carolina, wrote a column that published on Thursday that basically poses a question and enforces the issue and says, Here's a coach who has been extremely successful at the HBCU level at North Carolina Central, made multiple NCAA tournaments, and has never really been involved for a legitimate job in the ACC. Can we ask why? you know, is this how, if if college basketball and college sports want to be as progressive as they proclaim to be, then let's look at Lavelle Moten's situation and ask why he hasn't been able to uh, really get involved in those. He wasn't a candidate for the Wake Forest job, and we, we should ask ourselves why that was, and previous jobs that opened before that. So um, it's been, uh, you know, college basketball is only one small part of this, but it's not small.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that coach had like six different stories. I, I talked to, again, David Cox, the Rhode Island coach over the weekend, and he said that, he would, he would estimate that in his life he's been pulled over 12 times for absolutely no reason. Not 12 times because he was speeding or running a red light, but 12 times. Like been pulled over more than 12 times. But he could probably – he'd estimate maybe 12 times for no reason whatsoever, no reason. And he said of those 12 times, six he was asked to get out of his vehicle. And of those six, three times he was scared. Scared like something happens. I said tell me one of those stories. He said okay. It's late at night I believe it was in the DC area. He said you know for whatever whatever reason He doesn't even remember why but he made a u-turn right makes a u-turn and when he made the u-turn He dropped his phone so he reached down to pick up his phone blue lights Immediately so you know he does everything you're supposed to do hands on the wheel Don't move too quick Uh, White cop and a black cop White cop makes him get out of the car Why get out of the car no reason to get out of the car Makes him get out of the car. Next thing you know, he's on the hood. The black cops got him there, and he said the black cop is basically saying just stay calm, man. White cop's searching the car. Black cop's begging him to stay calm because he knows what can happen if he doesn't. White cop's searching the car. David's like, listen, I don't have anything in the car, nothing illegal, so I'm not, I'm not worried about, oh, no, they caught me. But you don't know if he's going to plant something. Like if that's running through my head, like they, they want to get me, they'll get me. So this goes on for like 15 minutes. They find nothing in the car. They ultimately let him go. And before um, they let him go, the black officer sort of whispers, I'm sorry, like apologize to him because he didn't do anything wrong. And so, again, pulled over 12 times for no reason, get out of the car six times, three times he was scared. And David was very clear. He said, listen, my experiences are bad, but they're twos or threes on a scale of one to ten. He said, it's not even me getting beat up, but I've seen those. And so I just contrasted it with my own life. Dave and I are roughly the same age. I think he's like 46, 47. I'm 43. So we basically spent the you know, same amount of time on this earth. Now, I can't, honestly can't think of a time where I've ever been pulled over for no reason. Like every time I've been pulled over, I'm doing something wrong. Speeding, ran a stop sign, uh, you know, changing lanes. with the, I, 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 can't, I cannot sit here and tell you I've ever been pulled over for no reason. And then I started – so I said, OK, well, that's, that's obviously one difference. He thinks he's been pulled over 12 times for no reason. I can't think of a single time I've ever been pulled over for no reason. He's been asked to get out of his car for no reason six times. I've never been asked to get out of my car for no reason. I've only been asked to get out of my car three times in my entire life. One time was because I was suspected of drinking and driving. I was not, but they thought I was. So they asked me to get out of the car, and I had to do the whole test, breathalyzer. I passed it, got back in my car, went on my way. But, like, that was a reasonable reason to ask somebody to get out of their car. You think they're drinking and driving. So that's one time. Another time, I, <laughs> I had broken a big story. Like, this, I was very young and broken a big story, and, my, and I was getting death threats. And my roommates were joking around with me, and they bought me a toy cat gun. And they're like, you better start carrying this. And so I jokingly put it in between my two front seats. This is how oblivious I am to Mm -hmm. the world at that time. I don't even recognize that it could be risky for me to be driving around with what appears to be a gun in between my two seats. So I get pulled over one morning on my way to work for running a red light. Get pulled over for a reason. Next thing I know, the cop says, don't move, but get out. You know, don't move too quickly. Put your – make your hands visible. Now get out of the car. And I'm like, what, what? Like, I'm scared because I don't know what's going on. He saw the gun. He thought it might be a real gun. So they asked me to get out of the car because they thought I had a weapon. Again, totally reasonable. And then the third time was I was in Oklahoma. I was driving to Stillwater for an Oklahoma State basketball game or football game. And I had to get off of the main highway or the interstate because it was a toll and I had no cash. So I had to get off and, like, take some back road. So I'm flying, like, 90 miles per hour down some – in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. And I'm listening to a podcast. This is before Bluetooth audio and all that. So I've, like, legit got beats on. Like, I'm listening. I got big headphones on driving 90 miles an hour through Oklahoma. Cops starts following me. Sirens, I don't hear them because I've got headphones on. And I'm on I'm, – I'm suddenly unintentionally in a high-speed chase through. <laughs> yes. Oklahoma. Yes. <laughs> okay it's totally ridiculous (laughs) finally i just glance up and i see the cops i see the lights now i'm being followed by multiple cop cars i'm like legit in a high-speed chase and i'm like oh god so i pull over i have no idea how long they've been following me but turns out they've been following me for multiple miles i would not slow down for them so they're like get out of the car and i'm like holy crap i'm like And so I'm out of the car, hands, the whole thing. They didn't have their guns drawn or anything, but they were like, it was, it was, they thought I was running from them. So they, they took me out of my car. They searched my car. They thought I was running drugs or something. And I'm like, listen, I know this sounds stupid, but I'm not, I don't have any drugs. I haven't been drinking. I wasn't running from you. I was, um. I couldn't hear you. I was listening to a podcast on headphones. I said, I know this sounds dumb, but that the honest to God truth. And they were like – and I said, but like, honestly, search the car, test me, whatever you need to do. I, this is me being stupid. This isn't me being a criminal. And that was that. I don't even I, – like I think I got a, a, a minor ticket. It was no big deal. Like I just sort of laughed it off. Now imagine – and somebody – I told this story on radio the other day and the black guy uh, tweets me and he's like, dude, do you know how that high-speed chase ends if you look like me? He's like, you wouldn't even be on radio today. So I say all that to say those are my encounters with law enforcement officials. I've only been asked to get out of my car three times, all three times, totally reasonable times. And yet black, black people in this country are just not treated that way. I don't know if you saw this story. Um, Tim Duncan, who is, I've known Tim for a long time, is a former Memphis basketball player who was then an associate athletic director at Memphis. He is now the athletic director at New Orleans. And he posted this on uh, Facebook the other day. I had him on my radio show yesterday. So Tim Duncan, 6'8, you know, his former power forward, 6'8, uh, black man. Five days before George Floyd was murdered, Tim and his wife, they have a home somewhere in, in Massachusetts. And it's in a you know, nice neighborhood, the type of neighborhood that has a Whole Foods down the street, okay? So Tim and his wife are walking to Whole Foods, middle of the day, broad daylight. Next thing you know, cops are surrounding him, guns drawn. They, you know, he's got his hand, hands up, hands up. He's got his hands up. Then they're like, Who, you know, we need to see your ID. He's like, why? Basically, they were – he fit the description they told him he fit the description of a suspected murderer and he said really you have a suspected murderer in the area who's a 6 foot 8 black man like really and they were like well they said he was tall they said well show us your id he said i'm not reaching in my pocket to get my id you get the he said he nodded with his head arm still up get Another officer to come get my ID out of my pocket. I am not reaching in my pocket and giving you a reason to do anything. So they come, reach in his pocket. You know, this gun's still on him from other officers. And they finally, you know, let him go. Once they realize he's not a m- suspected murderer, he's an athletic director of a Division I university. He's a married father with two degrees who is an athletic director at the Division I level and yet still – You know, to a a cop in that situation, he looked like a suspected murderer. I mean, it's it's insane. That's five days before George Floyd was murdered. And and, and so I asked him. I told him I talked to David Cox. I said, David Cox told me when he watched the video, he said, that could have been me. I said, do you think that way? He said, of course I think that way. He said, that could have been me that day. What if instead of me putting my hands up and telling them I'm not reaching into my pockets, what if I'm just in a bad mood and I say – you put you know, you put your gun on me. I've done anything wrong. I'm just walking to the grocery store like what if I Pop off and then it escalates like how, why, you know, why couldn't that be me? And so like there's another story like all, all for the past week I've had almost nothing but black guests on the radio show because I want to talk about them about their experiences and Everybody's got a story everybody at swing cash on a couple days ago she said that when she was in college her brother got into some sort. It was like a bar, typical bar thing, right? Next thing you know, cops are there, arrest all the black guys, including her brother. They've done nothing wrong, and while her brother is handcuffed, Swin said that a cop punched him, beat him up while he was handcuffed, beat him up. And so, you know, they get her brother out of jail. Brother's done nothing wrong, but like he's in jail, they get him out of jail, and Swin wants to make a big deal about it like this is wrong like let's sue whoever we got to sue let's you know and her mother would not let her and told her we have to keep quiet because we have to live here and your cousins still have to live here and if we go after the police department in a formal way then we'll deal with the repercussions while you're off being a college basketball star it's just like everybody has a story everybody has a story i don't have any of those stories like the other thing David Cox said, like he said, since he was six years old, the first time when he was six years old, his mother sat him down, parents sat him down and had to talk with him. I'm like, what is the talk? Like in my house, the talk is uh, like you know, birds and bees stuff. Uh, no, in a black house, it's, it's, Hey, if you ever, you know, encounter a police officer, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. I, he, I said six years old. He said, yeah. Cause when you're six, that's about when you get ready to go out and you know run around your neighborhood a little bit and you need to know these things. I said, so is it a one-time conversation? Oh, no, no, no. It's a constant conversation. It's a conversation I still have with my mother today because she's still worried about me because I'm still a black man. And I talked to Myron Metcalf from ESPN, had him on the radio show. He said, of course I have that conversation. And I just, again, contrast it with my own life. I've never had that conversation with my parents, and I've never had it with my children. It's never occurred to me to sit down and talk to my young children or my oldest child about what to do when they encounter a police officer. I've never thought about it. Why? Because I have white kids, and, and you know, so why, why would I think about it? It's just been uh, not eye-opening for me because I've known all of these things, but I've, I, I've, I've been f- – I hope it's been eye-opening for the people, like I said at the top, who have forever tried to be dismissive that we are living in two different worlds. It feels like – and we'll see if it means anything, mm-hmm. but it does feel like people are having their eyes opened, some people, for the first time and genuinely listening, some people, for the first time.
1: Yeah, and we've got some good action coming for the future uh, in terms of later this year, like something that we, that we are seeing early signs of uh, where coaches are trying to bring about um, some more change and taking this moment and using their programs, their teams to try and put into action. We'll get into what exactly that is, but first,
2: check this out. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: Okay, GP, I want to give a shout to Pat Scary of Towson because he did this first, what we're about to talk about. He first did this in 2016. I wrote the story on it um, where he required that every single person, or at least strongly implored that every single person on his roster register to vote for the 2016 election. And earlier this week... Eric Reveneau, who, uh who is former head coach at Portland, uh, previously an assistant at Stanford, has now been on the staff with Georgia Tech and Josh Pastner for the past few years. He sent out a tweet um, earlier this week. You want to tell people uh, what he said and, and what we're hearing in, in the past, you know, 48 hours since he sent it.
0: Yeah. So Eric, uh, more or less, suggested that on election day, you know, because it it falls, you know, in technically in basketball season, it's a little bit before. The games start um, this year, but, you know, you're still in practicing and weightlifting and all of that stuff. You could even, in theory, I guess, have an exhibition on that night if you wanted to. And what Eric has suggested is that that should be a day off. Like, no mandatory, no game, no scrimmage, no practice, no weights, no mandatory um, s- basketball obligation um, to encourage – Our student athletes to to to, and I don't want to speak for Eric or put words in his mouth, but to not only go vote but to take in election day, you know, to really you know watch it unfold and see what it means, because obviously um, for a variety of reasons this is an incredibly important election, and so Eric sort of just threw it out there, and it really is it's gaining um, momentum in a in a not insignificant way. Mark Few coach at Gonzaga called me yesterday afternoon and, you know, Mark doesn't have social media. He's like, this is like one of the few times I've ever wished I I had social media. And I said, nah, you know, you, you're, you're, you're the smart guy. You stay out of it. But he's like, he really wants this to, to, to catch on and be a thing. And Georgia tech earlier today announced that all of their sports that are in season on election day, well, it's a, it's a mandatory day off, no practices, no exhibitions, no nothing. You're gonna vote and and experience Election Day. Uh, the entire America East Conference mm-hmm. earlier today announced that it is doing the same thing. And Mark Few wanted me to let anybody who will listen know Gonzaga is going to do the same thing. He they will do nothing on Election Day as a team except vote and and experience um, the election. And I really do think, you know, because I, I, I hate to keep going back to it, but it's it's you know we had an important conversation. I thought David Cox, the head coach at Rhode Island, he you know, sort of where I left the column, and one of the things he left me with is he was, he said, "Listen, it's been nice watching John Calipari and Tom Izzo and Bob Huggins, you know, uh, white prominent coaches speak up on this like that. That is appreciated and it is noted." He said, "But what's next?" Like, that's what we have to do, not just as basketball coaches, but as people. What's next? Like, it's cool that everybody's on Instagram and everybody's on Twitter, but, like, what's next? What's the next step? And that next step can be a, a lot of different things. But if the question in basketball is what's the next step, perhaps what Eric has suggested and what other leagues and universities are adopting, maybe that's what's next. Hey, let, let's let's encourage our student athletes who are largely young black men when it comes to men's basketball, let's, let's get them registered to vote. Let's make them understand how important Election Day is. How do we make them understand that? It's so important that we're not doing anything else on this day. It's so important we're not coming in to get shots up. It's so important we're not going in to lift. It's so important we're not watching film. Register to vote and take everything off the schedule to emphasize this is an important day the most important thing you're going to do today is go and vote in a presidential election. And, you know, maybe that's a small thing, but I don't think it's a, I I don't, I think, but I do believe it's a meaningful thing. And I do think it's something that'll catch on. And, you know, if that is one good thing that comes out of all of this, then it's just one good thing, but it is a good thing. And that's good.
1: It is a good thing. It's a great thing. And, um... Mark Few is fired up. He, he called me as well, um, left a voicemail. I was in the midst of trying to keep my two maniac children in order. So I, I got it afterward and I uh, didn't get to link up with him. But I'm, 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 I'm happy to hear that. Um, and when Eric Reveno tweeted this out, I mean, I, as soon as I saw it, I sent him a, I sent him a text and I said, this is a great idea. Uh, I said, I really do think that your tweet is going to lead to change. I don't see why it can't or won't happen. He said the only thing that he had heard is that for some football teams, it might be a uh, a bit of a tough pill, especially if if you wind up having a game land on a Thursday. Obviously, Election Day always falls on a Tuesday, um, and those teams could potentially look for a waiver. But to me... You know, if that's the case, whatever it would be tremendous if if the NCAA—it's really going to be on the conferences and schools—but could come together and really—that's that is true change, that is real action. If you're going to say, you know what, having everyone that has the option and wants to vote go out and vote, we are giving the entire day off to go out and vote. Then, if you want to assemble as a team and talk about. The issue's at hand, and if you have disagreements, that's great. That's the democratic process there. It would be a wonderful thing. I didn't mention earlier, but I did a story uh, earlier this week uh, with New Mexico State, which was the, as far as I know, the first uh, college basketball team to opt to protest uh, together in, in Las Cruces, which is not a bit. It's, it's it's a small town. We're seeing plenty of people listening to this podcast. You, you might live in a small town and chances are that either you've had uh, a protest or a rally or that is scheduled for this weekend. You know, my, the town that I live in, going to have one this weekend. Going to take, can't take my one-year-old because masks are mandatory and there's no shot he wears a mask, but I'm going to take my four-year-old. We're going to go and we're going to experience it for a couple of minutes there. And it's been so... Uh, it's been so great to hear the stories of the New Mexico State players who did this and did it as a unit. And by the way, they did it after there's a junior walk-on, Tennessee, Tennessee Owens. He went and opted to protest by himself. Didn't didn't like make a big stink of it, but his teammates found it afterward and you know, Jabari Rice Sean Buchanan, they told me, they said, no, what? when we saw that and we knew there were going to be more, we wanted to be a part of that. It's been, uh, you know, some heartwarming might be a, a, a little bit of a cheesy word, but it, it is, man. It's inspirational as hell. And if you can see, and it wouldn't surprise me if we saw... More teams try and start to do this. I've actually heard from a couple of coaches who had their players participating in these, but then they said, you know, they're proud to have done it, but they're not seeking attention. So just, you know, if they've kindly asked that. You don't necessarily, like, put it out there who they are. But there have been players across the country. Seth Towns, notably, at Ohio State is one of them. He was uh, briefly detained and has been vocal and outspoken about all of this. And so to have uh, action now and then planned action for the future... I would think that we have a good chance that this that, that Eric Reveno's tweet is going to spark a real movement here. Here's real quick, GP. The America East statement is this. We stand together as one in our commitment to help end systemic racism. Words are not enough, and we must be supported by action. As a group, we each commit to hosting an anti-racism event at a home game this year to shine the spotlight on discrimination and equality. I'll jump in real. That's great. That is something that it shouldn't just be the America East, which has been really one of the most progressive uh, conferences when it comes to equality for all. It has been doing this for three, four, five years now in terms of having specific nights devoted to equal rights in the LGBTQ Communities, bringing awareness for mental health inside the America East. Other conferences should really be looking to that small one tucked away in the Northeast as to how they can help bring about action, awareness, and really better the cause. The the statement continues We also commit to make November 3rd, Election Day, a mandatory day off for all nine of our teams to encourage everyone to exercise their right to vote. These are just two steps we know, and we know there's more to do. For as long as it takes, we're we commit to using our platforms to enact change that is so long overdue. It's really great. I mean it really is. And when you have coaches that are high profile like Mark Few, I f- I would fully expect that you're going to have many many Mark Few is very close with a lot of the game's heaviest hitters. Roy Williams, Mike Rzeszewski, Tom Izzo, these these are guys that that talk with each other on a frequent basis. John Calipari, Mark Few's tight with. And so and John Calipari has been Vocal this week and how he wants to have—he doesn't want to have just like a 15-minute, you know, chat session on Zoom. He wants to have sustained, long conversations, and so I do think that we're going to have more action about this when it comes to election day, for sure. And but I think even before that, once we can get into an environment, hopefully, depending on what's going to happen with COVID-19 and coronavirus and how that uh, will will stall or will not once we get to the fall GP. But it's. It's been great. It's, been a, it's, it's it's a really cool thing. And if, if the NCAA can somehow pass legislation to make that day mandatory to be off, that would be great. Um, again, the football thing might be the one aspect that holds it up. But to me, it's one Tuesday. It's one practice day out of the whole year. You know, The democratic right to vote, the constitutional right to vote, to me should supersede uh, throwing on the pads and, and getting in a one a day.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I kind of like it if the NCAA stays out of it. I kind of like the idea of... You know, for the most part, white coaches pushing for this themselves. I, I sort of like the message that that sends. I mean, listen, if the NCAA wants to get involved, that's fine. But I, I, I like the idea that Eric Reveno is saying, let's, let's do this. Let's show our student athletes how important this is and then allow them to participate with no basketball activities allowed. Um, you know, Mark Few saying the same thing and like um you know i i do think that you you're not only going to see um you know sports uh, you know college programs do this um you'll see i think all sorts of businesses you know react to to you know these times in in ways just here in my hometown the grizzlies announced that um all employees will be off paid day off on election day like they, you know like they, you don't need to be at work Go do what you need to do, and so you know the country is changing. I do think people far overdue, um, but but the people who are how about this? My boss at radio said the other day he has two daughters, both college age, and they're great young women. But like they've never been, you know, they're you know they're they're young white women who come from privilege. You know, and said they've never dealt with these issues. And he said he's seen for the first time them caring about things that he's that he's never even heard them talk about before. And he was really moved by that. Like my daughters, um, you know, were born into a great situation and have really never ventured outside of that situation. You know, private schools and the whole deal. And now he says, like, he's noticed over the past week, like, they are talking about things and doing things that they've never talked about, never done. And I don't think that's a unique story. I think a lot of people's eyes have really been opened over the past week. And it's just been an interesting thing to watch.
1: It is. And, uh, you know, I'm so happy we're having this conversation on this podcast. You know, there's not, there's really not a ton of of college basketball news that's even happening this week. And the Black Lives Matter movement has really, um, really taken a turn for the better i mean the the more we can have this conversation uh with as many people as possible and peacefully protest to enact change i think is it it really is wonderful i mean it it is is stirring to the soul i encourage anyone listening um if you haven't yet uh and are able to please uh, you know there is no shortage of resources out there in terms of uh where you can take time to donate your efforts um, and whatever ways that you might be able to, if you can, uh, to help the cause, Uh, because it's been, it's been a wild week in our country Uh, as a member of the media. uh, It has been just infuriating on a daily basis to see first amendment violations, if not, you know, actual human rights violations uh, caught on camera. Uh, Hundreds, hundreds of press, trying to document the constitutional right to peacefully protest. And, and, and you have members of the press being detained, assaulted, uh, not, American media and Australian media. I mean, a, a media from all over. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been an issue that has uh, exposed a lot of ills in our society, and rightfully so. And hopefully we continue to have really good conversations. And I look forward to seeing what the college basketball community can do to help further this. Because I will say this, GP. Um, college basketball coaches, you take coaches versus cancer as one example. That cause raises so much money for cancer research. And coaches versus cancer, you you look at uh, the Jimmy V Foundation, um, the college basketball community of coaches really has, uh, it, it wields a lot of power, has a lot of very influential people at the community level. Obviously, I'm not even talking about men like Mike Suchaski and John Calipari who have a real national pull. I'm talking about many, many coaches who are head coaches of division 1 programs in communities and towns where basketball, the team, the basketball team is the biggest thing. They their words have such impact and power. Um the sport has a great opportunity here to 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 do its part and to bring about real change and activism in so many ways and and just talking with coaches in the past few days it, it I'm optimistic right now. It feels like there is a real charge to get this done and to keep going with it. But I will be interested to see and am personally dedicated to continue to report on what that might be a week from now, two weeks from now, and just as importantly, four months from now, eight months from now, and a year from now to see how far along we've progressed and how we've continued to bring about equality for all and show that Black Lives Matter.
0: Yeah, we um, didn't intentionally not talk about basketball in this podcast. The truth is like there's really nothing to talk about as it relates to college basketball since the last time um, we recorded, Uh, you know, Zion Williamson case, you know, his his. You know, th- th- a judge has refused to to throw out the case, but like everything we would say about that, we've already said. We've talked about the Zion Williamson case. Uh, you know, simply put, um, I'd be shocked if he ever actually sits down and answers the questions Gina Ford wants him to answer. I would assume that if he cannot eventually get this thrown out one way or another, um, he will reach a settlement and uh, zip, and everybody's lips will be zipped. Uh, Musa Sise a five-star prospect who reclassified to 2020, is supposed to commit at some point this week but as of Thursday afternoon as of this recording he still has not committed so it's really quiet on the college basketball front and uh, and uh, that's fine by me because uh, I'm tired
1: many more important things happening right now as is you know just it really put it all in perspective but I agree we're waiting on the CSA commitment and, uh, and, and whatever also I, I do expect the next time we podcast we'll have some real real news to talk about here uh, even what's been you know Becoming an expectedly slower offseason here, GP, uh, to be expected. But, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what, what comes about in the sport in terms of uh, headlines in the next couple of days.
0: Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to, to South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Tigo. That's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. And please go subscribe today on College Basketball Podcast anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. And uh, if you enjoy it, you know, tell a person about it. People uh, these days are looking for a new podcasts to listen to. I know it's not college basketball season, but we're still going to be here at least once a week until the next season gets started. So, um, if you got a friend who's looking for something to listen to, maybe we'll point them in our direction. I'd appreciate it. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you again soon. Till then, take care.